This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 145, where we're talking about Jessica Jones, season two, episode seven, aka I Want You Cray Cray. Welcome back, fellow Defenders. This is Derek on Defenders TV Podcast, episode 145, where we're talking about Jessica Jones, episode 7 of season 2, a.k.a. I Want Your Cray Cray. That really does rhyme. It does. Cray Cray. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I am Crazy John here, uh, one of your hosts. I'm delighted you've learned what Cray Cray means. Yes, I know. I thought it was crayfish, crayfish, crayfish. <laughs> mm, now I'm hungry and it's only it's early in the morning, so I'm a bit like, oh, what do I do? Rounding out the group, I am the third and final host, Chris Jones, the titular Mr. Jones, but uh, circumvented by, obviously, Miss Jessica Jones, who is Mm -hmm. the titular Jones. Yes, yes, she is. We are halfway through Jessica Jones this season. We We have gone past the halfway point, and this episode is our big flashback episode to fill in some of the background gaps so we'll be talking our spoiler filled review as you know uh, for this episode we don't spoil it ahead or anything after episode seven but we will be discussing everything that happens during episode seven so make sure you've watched it before we go into it uh, as usual if there's anything that you need to get in contact with us to subscribe to our podcast to record a voicemail for us you can find it all over on our website at defenderstvpodcast.com and as we've been doing for the last few episodes we're going to start off with some feedback about some previous episodes of jessica jones john do you want to kick us off Yes. Uh, Mike on episode three, a.k.a. Soul Survivor. This is the best episode of the season so far. Hopefully the story will start picking up from here. Episode one and two pacing was not for me. They're going to have to work hard to make me care about the law firm drama, the landlord superintendent drama, or the clearly red herring Trish boyfriend drama. The show is called Jessica Jones. So more about her being her, please. Yeah, well, I think it certainly picks up... Mm. um, after well with episode three i know we had some issues with two at least myself and chris about it being slightly slow but uh yeah this is certainly um playing out slowly and and really building to i think certainly uh, that crescendo at the end of episode six with the big big reveal yeah um so yeah uh looking forward now from with episode seven uh for me this was fascinating uh with so much detail about past lives um so yeah uh, we'll see how it continues yeah i think the first couple of episodes were really just setting it back up after being away for two and a half years as we were talking about on our on our podcast but yeah glad you're getting into the episodes next chris do you want to take our other piece of feedback sure Robert Phillips over on Facebook group said, uh, in reference to episode 5, a.k.a. The Octopus, Ah, Griffin turned out to be planning a surprise engagement. I take back everything I said about evil Englishmen. (laughs) I'm going to intersect here and go, I don't. Hey. Robert goes on to say, and Jerry going all dance with the devil and IGH information extracting. And well done, Mr. Jones, on getting both threads. Must be a sign of misspent youth. Yes, it was. That's all I'll say. Enough about that. Rob continued on. The theme of control and the others controlling continues to be very well explored in this episode. Making your own choices matters, even if those choices aren't necessarily sensible. Yes, I'm looking at you, Trish Walker. <laughs> this is also the start, I think, of Jessica relinquishing some control. Naming Malcolm an associate, sharing information with the police and delegating witness protection to Hogarth. Perhaps the whole series will again be about the right to self-determination, but this time the benefits of balancing this with allowing others to help. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you very much, Robert. Uh, yes, very much. As you say, it's really there. It, there is a level of control here, but it's the actual, the, the opposite of control. The the giving away of control, mm-hmm. um, be it in a good way, which Jessica's doing, or the bad way, which Trish is doing. Yeah. Yes. But yes, you're right on the mark there. Absolutely. Thanks so much for that feedback. If you want to send in your feedback, obviously, you can go over to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV podcast. Come in and join us and chat about the episodes as we go along. Yeah. Um, now on to the episode. Derek, what delights do you have uh, for the episode details? This is a pretty delightful one, actually, because it's got a little bit of uh, of easter eggs in it as well mm. uh yes the episode was written by hilly hicks jr uh, who did two episodes of jessica jones season one uh did episode uh, aka 99 friends and aka take a bloody number two really good episodes actually of, of season one there wasn't very very many bad episodes of season one to be honest no not at all but here's our our easter egg for hilly hicks jr his father hilly hicks senior played robbie robertson in the 1977 spider-man movie that's pretty cool, isn't it? You've got some Marvel bona fides in you. Uh, it is the 70s one where he was swinging on ropes, uh-huh. which was uh, always an interesting <laughs> TV pilot movie. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I look back in... I sound like I can look back in awe. I look back in... Aww. <laughs> I actually genuinely remember watching that when I was when I was a young kid. It was my Saturday morning uh, TV um, with my parents. So I do remember it. Yeah, no, me not, too. Not, re- not really live because it must have been a later repeat in the early eighties, I suppose. But yeah, we didn't yeah. have very much else to compete with it. Well, absolutely, all those kind of late seventies, early eighties superhero uh, attempts were were kind of fairly tragic in a Doctor Who sense with regards to the effects. But um, you know, it gave it a good stab they ultimately, uh, given what was available to them. Mm-hmm. When you think Star Wars was only really out in 77 where, you know, you kind of go, wow, that's amazing. And that was in the movies. And of yeah. course, TV didn't quite have that same budget. It no. were, it really was the kind of, you know, the, the, the serial soap, uh, operas that were going on. Yeah. Yeah. And Incredible Hulk was basically a man painted green. So. And that was kind of it for the show. But yeah, it was still fun to watch. Absolutely. To watch. Uh, Careful there, boys. You're showing your age. <laughs> but, uh, okay, I'm, I'm in agreement. Like, I don't want people to think I'm detracting from the shows. Mm-hmm. By today's standard, in what, what we're used to, a Game of Thrones $1 billion episode yeah, yeah. kind of production cost, <laughs> it's hard to compare equally Absolutely. but like the trial of the incredible hulk mm-hmm. still an amazing piece of uh tv history it is know. tv is it's historical anyway and these things has all laid the foundations so hilly hicks's junior's father helped lay the foundation mm-hmm. for what hilly hicks junior himself did in this episode there you go there you go. The episode was directed by Jennifer Getzinger. Uh, she has also worked on Marvel before, has not worked on the Netflix shows, though, but did two episodes of Agent Carter. She did Hollywood Ending and A Little Song and Dance. I absolutely remember those episodes of Agent Carter because one of them was the musical episode. Yes, it was. So bringing her style into this episode where we have a bit of a musical in a way. You've got Trish singing her I Want You Cry Cry song and that <laughs> tremendous video that we see up on screen. Um, yeah. So uh, definitely a little bit of history and music that she's doing in this episode. Yeah, that was very 
late 90s early noughties going on really with that musical mm-hmm. video um yeah. definitely and not entirely sure about the the lyrics um even though supposedly it's going to go on to be a smash hit yeah. um and i believe that's her only song uh, i haven't heard the rest of the album yet <laughs> i so want them to do a vinyl press for Jessica Jones season two Mm -hmm. and it's just going to be the first song and then actually every song is just Trisha's I want your cray cray (laughs) but they're not going to tell anyone that it's just going to be like on repeat oh it has to be remixes of it right it has to be you know the slow remix the piano mix the guitar mix the uh the ultra heavy late night mix (laughs) yeah the the electro like rave mix Mm -hmm. the bathroom mix I think before we go down a cray cray rabbit hole which we'll probably get in a bit later on in the episode anyway john do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode sure in the aftermath of the revelation that meet faces jessica's mother elisa the estranged mother and daughter explore their past in the intervening period after the accident that killed jessica's father brian and her brother philip a series of flashbacks shed new light on Jessica and Elisa's past from the IGH experiments through to the adoption of Jessica by the Walker family and finally to the start of a meaningful relationship with a new boyfriend, Sterling Adams. As their shared past becomes deeper and more entwined than previously thought, a painful turning point in Jessica's adult life, the tragic death of Sterling, is revealed to be because of Elisa's intense rage. Now in the present... Jessica refuses to forgive her mother. Good stuff, John. That's a nice balanced uh, synopsis this time. Not too short, not too long. Exactly. After the seesaw of a two-page essay down to two sentences, I think I've kind of got the balance right again now. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, I think we're going to go into our top five case notes, our first case note, just because we've probably talked about this in every episode as to who the burnt monster was in the past. It's definitely revealed here that the burnt monster that was attacking Jessica in her memories is her mother, Alyssa. Yes, Meatface, burnt monster, Frankenstein um, (laughs) is definitely Jessica's mother here. Um, And yeah, it's interesting that, you know, we were kind of discussing whether she was protecting her Meatface, not knowing that it was Elisa's mother, um, although we had that theory or... Uh, was she attacking her? And it was an attempt to break out. Uh, and she ultimately is grabbing hold of her because she's completely disorientated. Mm-hmm. She's frightened for her life, but she does kind of push Jessica away. It's, it's this kind of uncontrolled, uh, power that she has. Um, so yeah, really, really interesting that, you know, she's told that she tried to kill, uh, her own daughter. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm glad they, they cleared this up. Um, one quick note, we still haven't seen the Healing Hands Boy, mm-hmm. um, which I was expecting in this episode once I knew it was the flashback. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which was, it's a bit weird, so it does lead me to believe potentially there's more to the story than we're hearing from Innes, but let's leave that for the next episode. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad we kind of got something right while we didn't get something right. Mm-hmm. So we were like, maybe the Me Fake was protecting Jessica. No. Meatface was about to kill Jessica, but actually Meatface was Janet McTeer, which was great to see. Mm -hmm. So putting it very flat, we get, as you said, Derek, a flashback episode every season Mm -hmm. in one of these. Um, We expect these now. Mm -hmm. We got a lot more here. I don't want to give away too much. As we go through the points, you'll see that I was a bit, oh, that's a lot of filler. 
Okay. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but essentially, though, this answered one or two questions, which is great. This scene in particular, yeah. we see a lot more. Um, I have a question around how much of her face is her old face mm. that Jessica would not remember her. I think she does call out when she looks in the mirror that she looks completely different to, which I'm really happy they said, that she looks different to the way that she would have when she was younger because she doesn't recognize herself immediately in the mirror. Yeah, so um, she doesn't say anything like that. She just... She looks like she doesn't understand. That's not me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's very much in Janet McTeer's performance in this episode. I must say, there's some great moments. One that you mentioned, John, where she's told that she um, that she tried to kill Jessica. Janet McTeer plays that moment brilliantly, where she you can tell the heartbreak and anger at herself that she did it all just with a look. Um, yeah, visually, she's. She really yes. conveys her emotions mm-hmm. so, so well. And certainly within this character of someone that, you know, she doesn't quite know where she is. And again, looking at the mirror, it was about her look, you know, that she was looking at a stranger yeah. or, you know, the stranger in the mirror was looking back at her. And she that disconnect of who she knows she is and what she's seeing was just conveyed brilliantly by Janet McTeer here. And again, with, um, yeah, hearing that she actually was going after Jessica and then also just her relationship with Carl Malice as well. Really, really enjoyed this connection that they, they built up. And again, it's the inquisitiveness of her. You know, she wants to know about these experiments. She mm-hmm. wants to know how Jessica's doing and her expression flits between that increasing rage that is, is unstabilizing for her. Yeah. Um, and, and then kind of you get the soothing words from Carl. Um, and. You see it subsiding, and I thought that was really, really nicely done. And I think just so much of this performance by Janet McTeer is in her expression um, and her her face. It's just so, so good. I mean, I mean, I'm complete agreement with you, gentlemen. Like this was, this was a very good episode, mm-hmm. um, and it was very McTeer's performance in this was fantastic. Yeah. And I, I think that kind of. I don't want to get too deep into what happened around that, um, but just the confirmation that old burnt face is actually Jessica's mother. But should we move on to case note number two? I think we should, from one cray to a double cray cray. <laughs> Trish is cray cray, along with her entourage as well. Yeah, actually, Trish has an entourage here. Case note two, I want your cray cray. So... Do we think this is a number one bestseller? Will it top the charts? I was saying earlier on, I was writing my notes while watching the episode, saw the expression on Jessica's face, I think is what (laughs) exactly my expression was watching this as gone. Okay, so this is a story about a girl who was in a TV show and is trying to make her way in in the music business, but is surrounded by Yes Man and given an absolutely terrible song. But... That's not what happens. We hear that it's supposed to be a, a number one hit. It's going to be a big blockbuster and they're going to get a tour going around around all of the US because the song is so good. I thought it was really funny, personally. I thought it was like something you'd see on a uh, on a parody show. I thought it was really fun and I couldn't get out of my head for a couple of hours afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I think it was really great how, you know, so much glamour. The Trish is in her sparkly dress. Mm-hmm. Everyone's swigging bubbles 
Jessica's there in a shirt that looks like it's been made out of a tablecloth. She's in her jeans. She looks like a student, uh, a nerdy student who should be studying. And we find out that she is as well, that she really has an idea of what she wants to do here. Um, she's committed to university um, and she sees Trish uh, really going down uh, a bad path here. Yeah. Uh, even though Trish doesn't necessarily see that herself. Um, and it kind of contrasts with, with Jessica, who seems a bit like a goody two shoes here. She's still got her wit. She's still, um, got the eye roll, which is really good. But it, I just love this contrast in the club of her sat there as well, swigging hardcore liquor with whiskey, mm-hmm. um, and, and looking like, a fish out of water, ultimately, and I, I really like that. Yeah. What did you think of Cray Cray, Chris? Oh. Not your type of music, really, is it? Uh, no, no. That's a, no. I, I can't even think of a witty kind of retort for that, but no. <laughs> I like it. It was funny. It's an allegory of against Britney Spears uh-huh. in the early, two, like, 10 years before, where she was a Disney Channel star. Yeah. Went on to become, and then they have this... I'm going to pretty much sing a banal song uh, with a lot of auto tuning yeah. and have uh, skimpy clothes and dancers humping on humping the ground. But again, that did win the VMA, <laughs> so that was the joke. Yeah, and I'm exactly. like, all right, okay, I get it. I just love Jessica's reaction to some of the shots in the video, just where she just throws her eyes up to heaven, going, "Oh, she hasn't done this. She's not trying to turn out to be a sexy singer now." You know, I just thought she was really funny. The, the funny bit is though that, that there's two sides to this coin. You have the Britney Spears who goes down and then starts shaving her hair, but comes back and now is working in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And then you have the Miley Cyrus, who actually did go on to be a multi-million dollar singer-songwriter mm-hmm. and swinging on wrecking balls. Yeah. So it's a bit, I'm like, okay, to be fair, Trish, it could have gone either way, but you're a bit of a Britney versus a Miley. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I find this storyline especially hard to watch. Right. I'm not going to lie. Just knowing that Trish is backsliding in the present Mm -hmm. basically this is her second addiction uh relapse yeah this is her first so she was a she was a child drug addict yes and then she got clean yeah and now she became a singer songwriter drug addict drug addict yeah but then seeing that connection in the bathroom as they the two girls become sisters again yeah and then knowing where they're going to end up in five years Mm mm-hmm I'm like, no, 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 no. This is this is this is a tough one. Yeah. Like it it, it is a bit of history repeating uh with with Trish and and it's kind of interesting because as you say, you know, that backsliding that's happening at the moment with that IGH puffer, but you really see that this is peaks and troughs with mm-hmm. with, with Trish uh, and it really is a feature of her and that just makes it kind of even more tough to watch. I really like the argument outside the club uh, the first time where, yeah. you know, Jessica's saying, I don't want to lose you. You know, you're we can't be friends when you're dead. Trish is kind of saying, well, will I have to help you out with bail again next mm-hmm. time you're in trouble? And um, so I, I really kind of like that. And of course, here in, in this first instance as well, we get to see... Um, Sterling Adams as well, um, who is is there in the club at the bar. You have, again, just Jessica and, and Dorothy Walker there 
at the bar. Really, really good. That and is hilarious where she's going. <laughs> yeah. um, do you not know how to treat a VIP? I am Trisha's mother, after all. And Jessica's looking at her going, are you still using that? You haven't worked for her five yeah. years, you know. Um, but, I mean, ultimately, leads to us a connection with this bartender who then gets fired. Yeah, yeah. And before we go on to the next point, which is obviously going to be about him because he's quite central in the, in the show, um, this is the song that was called out in episode one by the two fathers who had uh, blackmailed Trish into uh, doing their daughter's birthday party, right? Yeah, for the General Metro Records. She was doing that in exchange for those. Yeah, Yeah, so when when he sang it to her, you saw her eyes roll to heaven. So she probably now has the same opinion that Jessica had about the song at the time. So I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, just before we go on to case note number three, I just want to call out how fantastic our actresses look in terms of being able to de-age. Yes. It's amazing how much a little haircut and just, I, well, I, I don't clothes. know what they did. Yeah. I was, I was almost, there was a point I was saying it while watching it, that there was a point I was going, are they using the de-aging stuff that they used in, uh, in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and in Ant-Man? Because these guys look 20. Like they really do. Mm. That is much younger than they really are in real life so they've done a really good job of just dressing them really well and giving them the right makeup to make them look young like jessica genuinely looks like she's in college definitely and the great thing about trish as well is just that she looks younger but she also looks old because of the amount of drink and drugs that she's doing and the wild partying she's kind of got that tired eye look and so like that's kind of phenomenal she's looks younger than what she does now, but you can sense that she looks older than she should do um, in that moment. And I thought that was a really uh, fantastic kind of look for Trish. Not that she should wear it that often, but, you know, certainly it was really, really good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so it's like, like, I'm 25, but it's been a hard 25. Yes, exactly. (laughs) That's the way I was kind of looking at it. But no, I just want to call Rachel and... Chris and out on that. I was just, and I probably, I'm assuming production designer, the, the, the overall director's kind of vision that I want them to look young, but not too young. Anyway, that was just a, an, an aside. Mm-hmm. Uh, case out number three. Yes. Let's get into uh, Sterling McSterling McSterling. <laughs> yes, the boyfriend of Jessica. Um, you know, I think all of these case notes as well, and, and in particular, this one are just fascinating because I mean this is this is origins 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 oh yes um, that you know and I think this for me is why this episode is so so good is that it is so revealing about everything that we know about Jessica in the present and and it's not just um in terms of her relationship with her mother since the accident and what happens at IGH but we just see so many little snippets as to what has formed her and I think that this one in particular with Sterling her boyfriend Mm -hmm. I mean we really really see happy Jessica I mean to the point where she says you're my family now. Yeah. Like, it was really, really sweet. And to the point we actually see Kristen Ritter smile as Jessica Jones. Have we seen that for a while? Like, I naturally smile. I think we saw it once in the season so far um, where she was told, don't smile by her new boyfriend, um, the super in the in the apartment. She's told not to smile, and she does as an instant reaction to that because she's happy in the moment. But we see her smile genuinely quite a few times with Sterling, so there's definitely a good 
relationship with the two of them. Yeah, big time. But the one I really want to call out is the fact that he's looking to set up his own club um, called Club Alias. Um, And there we go. The basis of her business, Mm -hmm. Alias Investigation. So it's a really, really nice little touch there, I I, I thought, because it just connects uh, her back to um, Sterling even more so. Um, So I really like that touch. There's a little bit of a gag that comes from origin stories, um, especially it was leveled at Marvel when they made the decision not to do origin stories for their characters to start the characters off in their own story and then kind of organically tell the history of where they came from and what they're doing. The little bit of a gag is you don't need to explain everything. You don't need to tell where everything's coming from. I kind of like that they did that in this episode. We're in, we're, you know, we're, we're episode seven of season two. They knew they were only going to get one flashback episode. So they decided to throw everything at the wall here. We learn everything from where she got her jacket from. Yeah. She robbed that cool. off a mannequin because she used her powers to get in there. We learned, as you said, John, about uh, where she got the name of her, her investigation organization, where she got alias. Didn't really need to be told, but it was quite interesting to see it. So there's loads of little tip, tidbits here. But the one that was really interesting for me was, is Jessica a thief in this time? Is Jessica really using her powers to do anything she wants? She even calls it out to Sterling. She's kind of going, if you need money, I'll get you money. I could do that really easily, you know? She rips open the ATM in the middle of the street. Uh, it's late enough at night, but it's probably about one o'clock in the morning. So, you know, she rips it open, takes all the money out of it, doesn't put it back, doesn't call the police to say, I made a bit of a mistake here. And walks away and never gets arrested, never gets thrown in prison for it. Like, it seems a bit weird that she's just walking around the streets of the city of New York, robbing things that she just looks at and wants. I I thought (laughs) that too. I was expecting, when you hear the guy, when Sterling yells at Jessica across the street Mm -hmm. with the bottle, uh, I thought that was a cop. Right, yeah, yeah. I I did go, oh, she's going to get arrested now. Okay, cool. Like, that. okay, that uh, makes sense. um, Okay. Yeah. yeah, so Jessica is a thief, uh-huh. albeit a happy one. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I did find this interesting. I think season three will be the origin of her setting up alias investigations, that flashback episode. Maybe. I think that's where it's going to be, hey, now we know why you're a detective. But Because in this one, it's like, hey, now we know why you're sour. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. it's a, a bit, and the previous one was, hey, now we know why you're quick, quick. Well, I think I think one of the things that comes out in this episode is very much, uh, now we know why you don't trust people. And why you don't want to show off your powers to people, because people take advantage of that, regardless of who they are. You know, it was quite interesting in this episode that you do hear Sterling um, trying to use Jessica. Um, What do we think? I know we're probably going to get on to this in the next point we have about Sterling, but a little bit of an impression of Sterling himself. Were Were you guys on his side from Jessica's point of view, like I was? And then when you hear a bit more about him or see a bit more about him interacting with other people, then you kind of, then I was... I was turned off by him completely. It's going, Jessica's in a bad relationship and she doesn't know it was kind of my reaction to him at the end. I think he's a little subversive for sure. And I think that is probably what attracts uh, Jessica as well. You know, and it's interesting that his club that he wants to set up is the basis for ultimately the tragedy that occurs to, with Sterling in that he's looking to, you know, uh, loan money and those investments aren't um, being used, that it's not providing a return for, uh, you know, Wyatt, was it, who, who mm-hmm. approached him to get his money back. And so, you know, that puts him a little bit between a rock and a hard place. Uh, and, and But we see here the connection that Jessica has by defending him, but it all comes back again onto Jessica, where Wyatt wants to use her to um, really 
have her as uh, his muscle to yeah. go in and presumably collect rents or, or bribes or whatever he does. I mean, he seems like he's almost like a mobster who's doing protection rackets or, or those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And I think what we see is that Sterling is not above that. He, you know, he is deep within that kind of uh, realm for better or for worse. For me, him and Jessica do love one another very much. Um, and I think he is effectively pushed into a really difficult position that he didn't want to. You know, it was three against one in that alleyway mm-hmm. uh, behind the bar. Um, and you do get the sense from him that he was saying it to get out of that moment because okay. um, Jessica could come in and again, you know, give Wyatt a, a pretty good beating. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was interesting that he asked for 25% of all the takings. That sounds a bit more like he was willing to go along with it, to be honest. Although, if you know Jessica at all, I know he says, she loves me, she'll do whatever I ask. I don't think she would. <laughs> I don't think she will she still has a good head on her shoulders that wouldn't be willing to take advantage of her. Alas, we will never know. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know about that, guys. Uh, or Derek, I should say. She didn't have a good head on her shoulders. I think that this is what this proves. Hmm? He wanted a pony. He asked for a pony. She stole him a Rolex. Yeah, yeah, true. Like, uh, that's kind of what we're seeing. That He accepted her, and that acceptance allowed her to circumvent laws, whatever she felt, mm-hmm. so that she, she could be happy. Yeah. In terms of what did I think of him, I was very suspicious. Yeah. Um, basically from the scene where she wakes up with the leather jacket. Uh-huh. Hearing him talk to his family that kind of or raise the alarm bells it was very much a point where you could see that was his darker side yes this is talking to his mother about his brother and father i have a question was it? i have a question about that yeah was that not just wyatt on the other end of the phone he was trying to cover it up with some relationship drama that he has with his family is that exactly once we know his future mm-hmm. Uh, and we've seen it. Then you literally go back and start reevaluating yeah, everything exactly. said and done, and that's basically what Jessica did. Yeah, but she, without no, without the knowledge of what he'd said, he he has said. Yeah, yeah. She's just seen his future, and that's caused her to lose the happy Jessica, lose the smiling Jessica. Mm-hmm. Like that scene where they're just outside the bar and he's trying to learn her middle name. Yes. It was brilliant. It just reminded me of that college era I was in. Yeah. Where you would be so smitten. When you were 18 to 21 to 25, you were so smitten with your love, if you will, yeah. that you thought nothing else cared, nothing else mattered in the world. Yeah. And it was like, oh, just that few minutes. And that little, those little jokes of, I, my, I don't even know my girlfriend's middle name. Yeah, yeah. I never knew it was Campbell from the comic books. Um, and I think it potentially, this is a piece pulled from the comic books. I don't, but I, I don't ever I, remember I don't it being know. mentioned. I don't, remember. Yeah, I don't ever remember it being mentioned. Uh, but you're right, the scene is so natural between yeah. the two of them. It does feel like something that would go on. And you have to have those little moments. Like, we only have one episode to get to know this character and get to know why Jessica's in love with him. It's really important because we see her in other relationships throughout the show, and most of them are built over three or four episodes. But it's really important to go back and see what an early relationship with Jessica would be like. Yeah. It, and it, I think they set it up quite well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think here we see Jessica that Sterling becomes her rock. You know, she's 
her with Trisha, her relationship has is has gone wobbly, uh, and especially with Dorothy. So in in terms of the Walker family, uh, I, I again for Jessica, I think this, as she says, is her family. He is her rock. That's not to say that he's not shady, and maybe for people looking from the outside in on that relationship, they would go, Jessica, you need to get out of that relationship. You know, here we do see that in this world, Sterling does have some dodgy uh, dealings and relationships. Whether that is he is using Jessica in the same sense that a Kilgrave is or whoever else, who knows? Trish also seems to like him as well. And I think the tragedy is real with regards to the death of Sterling. And I think we can push this on to our fourth case note, the death of Sterling. Mm. You know, here, um, the tragedy is real for, for Jessica in losing her. And you get that really nice scene with her and Trish on that same rooftop looking at the black and white movie uh, where, you know, Trish and them come back together through this tragedy. Yeah. But it's only in this storytelling that's happening in the present between her and Alicia that we realize that Alicia is responsible for the death of Sterling Adams. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it's a bit heartbreaking to know that this is what Jessica has thought her whole life from this moment onwards. She thought, by me punching those guys and using my powers to protect Sterling, he got killed. So I'll never do that again. I'll never trust anybody else like that again. She says to Trish, but just before she introduces Sterling, she says to her, he knows everything about me. And there's nobody else that knows me that way except for you, Trish. So he, she really let him inside. And this whole thing has now been caused by her own mother trying to go and meet her and trying to protect her. If she'd just known the story around that time, she may have been able to live a different life and live a better life for herself. Yeah, no, this was this was a, a tragedy in the making mm-hmm. this was shakespearean almost and john you'll be able to kind of correct me on my knowledge of shakespearean <laughs> being our token englishman <laughs> we don't usually say that to his face chris oh, that's true it's true it's true i mean hello john how are you could you tell me about shakespeare so two points on this one i love very much christian ritter in this and mm-hmm. I, I say i've noticed i'm saying this a lot more in this season but what we see is happy jessica is christian ritter yes it's very much if you've uh, watched any interviews with christian ritter she is this happy-go-lucky knitting aficionado mm-hmm. uh, and she's very <laughs> kind of like yay and what we see post is this the the jessica jones we know or the, the 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 proto Jessica Jones. Yeah, yeah. If you will, like five years, she's starting to hardening now. Yes. This is the this is the the, the vibranium is melted and now it is slowly encasing her heart. Right. Uh, luckily, we know people that can crack vibranium. <laughs> the death of Sterling, I think it was what was needed mm-hmm. in this episode because, and I, I I I unfortunately I do not know the comic book equivalent of this part uh, of her story. I don't even know if there is one. Yeah. And that's on me. I apologize, fellow defenders. But seeing us as the audience, seeing Elisa killing Sterling, there was a part of me going, yes, (laughs) knock him out. Like he is just terrible. Then you see Elisa's shock, terror of what she has done. Mm -hmm. 
that ending scene where she's with Dr. Carl. Yeah. Where she's just like, I, I don't know what I am anymore. Yeah. Like I'm, I, I need to get better. Yeah. But then that beautiful scene where Elisa and Jessica are in the toilet together looking for a tampon. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm like, Oh, it's like super mom and super daughter. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was great. Then you have the juxtaposition of Sterling being Sterling on what we now know is Sterling. This, this, this very much conniving, terrible person. Yeah. With his death. And then the sorrow of Jessica for 24 hours being in the state of dismay and forcing her way back to uh, Trish, mm-hmm. the one person she can trust yeah. with her life yeah. and her, her, her story. And then like that scene where they're back up on the rooftop. So I suppose what I'm really trying to say is it's just quite a jump or just position between scene, 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 scene in this, uh, this last 10, 15 minutes. Mm. I'm fine. Or not even, I'd say like the last, last 10 minutes. Seeing the jump, seeing the the change in the characters, but what you get, you get the the speedy evolution of each of the characters. Mm. Yeah, and in the case of Sterling, it's very much the the fruits of his labor have come to bear. His death. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like I, I just I think his death in this is very much needed. I think so. If I can say that. Yeah, I think like the range of emotions here and the different perspectives that you can look at all this stuff going on in and around this bar um, is really fascinating. You know, from the giving of the tampon, where there's a real sudden, you know, connection there within the loot. Jessica also promising to buy her a drink back through to seeing the maybe slightly uh, darker side of, of Sterling and mm. And him willing to use Jessica, um, in a sense to get himself out of trouble. Now, whether he means that, as he says to Alicia when she corners him about it, mm-hmm. you know, where is he just trying to wriggle out of that confrontation with her? Um, and then, you know, that shocking death and seeing what that means to Jessica, who doesn't know the events that's gone on and seeing, uh, Alicia then really go, what have I done? Um, and really pulling back away from tracking down and meeting Jessica, that ultimately she feels Jessica is safer uh, not to know her at this moment because of her rage issues. Yeah. Uh, going back to Carl and saying, I, I need to be cured of these, or he will look to try and reduce these effects uh, of the experiments on her. And it's really interesting. I think another thing I really like about Alicia tracking down Jessica is the meeting of the mothers uh, in terms of Dorothy Walker and Alicia outside of Dorothy's apartment. Um, And you're just kind of thinking, well, we know that Dorothy is still alive in the present, but there were so many times where the look on uh, Janet McTeer's face looked like she was going to batter the hell out of Dorothy. Mm-hmm. And then she played savvy with it and, and really kind of uh, went along with, with Dorothy. Um, but at the same time, I really kind of like the the opening up of Dorothy Walker here where she goes, maybe I'm not as good a mother as I thought I was in trying to adopt Jessica and also with the issues that Patsy has had uh, and Trish now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was quite a nice little thing. Yeah, but um, ne- neither of her daughters are speaking to her. So yeah, that's kind of the, that's kind of the point. 
And, and I agree with you, this is a great scene. Also because it shows the fact that Alyssa does have a little bit of control over her rage. She rode the waves of it a little bit. There's definitely some scenes where you thought, uh-oh, um, she's definitely going to punch this woman uh, pretty quickly. But um, but she pl- rides the waves of it. She she has a little bit of anger in, a, in her tone when she's not getting what she wants, but she is able to tone it down and keep herself held back in order to get the information out of her that she needs. But that moment when, um, when Dorothy tells her, I don't really know where she is uh, anymore, she didn't like me as a mother, basically. You can see it's kind of going, hold, hold on a second. I thought she'd been put into this perfect scenario and you're now telling me that you treated my daughter badly. You know, I thought it was really interesting. I was wondering throughout this episode, because it's a flashback episode and we know that Jessica has no knowledge of her mother, I was wondering how they were going to do this kind of stuff. How do you have her intertwine with Jessica's life and nobody at all know about it? Well, you do things like this where she gives a fake name. She says it's Jessica's old school teacher. Um, you have that scene in the toilet between the two of them where she never sees her face and they never reveal the name at all to Jessica and, and Alyssa. Um, so I think it was done quite well. But you do have to have these moments where they did interact at some point in the past. But I thought it was thought it was really good, and particularly that scene with, uh, with Dorothy and, and Alyssa. Yeah. So I think in a little topsy-turvy kind of a way, uh, we should also see about how Alicia uh, gets out of the IGH. Because, I mean, she's being uh, bound to the bed. Uh, and I think here, our final case note, case note five, um, it's that really neck slapping is a family trait within the Joneses. Um, I don't know whether that extends to our co-host, Chris. Um, is there, do you like neck snapping in any way? Just, just don't annoy me on the, on the weekend and you'll, ne- you'll never know. <laughs> um, but we, you know, Alicia makes her escape from IGH. Um, and, and we've heard this story previously from, from Inez, uh, about how her colleague, the, the the other nurse was was killed and, and the neck snapping and wow did she snap her neck um yeah she looked like an owl um sort of stuffed at, uh, on the floor uh, with her face uh facing forwards over her back and even within as um that looked pretty rough pretty sore with all the shards of glass yeah. in her back um, but we get to see her uh, flung against that cabinet where she breaks her back and gets scarred from the shattered glass as well mm-hmm. and I did like this, I know as you say we we have heard the story before from Inez's perspective but it's nice to have the deepening of it that's going on throughout the episode as Carl is kind of trying to encourage Alyssa uh, to calm down to deal with him to take her the drugs, to keep her calm that she, he will eventually get her to the point that uh, she can meet Jessica. Uh, one of the other bits I did love with Carl, which I thought was hilarious when she's looking for her daughter and looking for information, he kind of goes, why don't you have a seat over there? And then I'll tell you all this horrible stuff that happened with your daughter. And as she sits down, they put the, they bind her to the chair and he starts, uh, he starts doing the injections and doing the tests on her. But I just thought it was very smart. He knows this woman will fly off the handle at anything, you know, um, take the, take the rubbish out. No, mom. Uh, well, then you get your neck snapped. You know, it's kind of it. She seems to be that much on a, a teetering on the edge at all times. So really smart of him to go. I've got some really bad news for you. Why not sit over there and we'll strap you into a chair while I tell you? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I do like that we hear that this is a psychosis thing. So another one mm-hmm. down for us, which is that this anger is a byproduct of the death that they, they both suffered and that the fact mm. that they've been brought back to the dead, that there's potentially brain damage. And um, as he says, like 
there was a lot of scarring on hers, and that's why hers is worse than Jessica's. Yeah. Um, but yeah. each treatment makes you stronger. That's what he says. You've been getting stronger after each treatment. So yes. we know Jessica had X amount of treatments, but her mother has stayed in there for an additional X amount of years and yeah. continued to get treatment after treatment after treatment. We understand now why Elisa is stronger than Jessica. Yeah. So much yeah. more. Yeah. We understand why her rage is so much more. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. think they've shown how much like matchsticks we are to them. In, it's like seeing Elisa just go. It, there was no tension, if you will, or counter tension. It was just like a flick. Yeah. They're actually sm- speedy. Uh, she jumps from one side of the room to the other very quick. I, I love this origin piece, but where we see that this was actually a narrative being told by Elisa to Jessica. Yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. Which is fantastic. And it moves it to the. Can you ever forgive me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we just get the patented Jessica. No. Punch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was so good that reveal that this um, was a conversation between the two as they're kind of exploring uh, each other's past and, and discovering things. And ultimately, at the end, you see this emotion in Jessica's um, face. And then that change to anger and, and the throw of the punch yeah. really really good because as, as we said she's been holding on to this pain for so long that it's formed a central part of her reality and her personality um, for jessica so when someone comes in and pulls the rug out from under you and says well actually what you didn't know was that boyfriend that you've been saying and bl- blaming yourself for his death well actually i killed him and the reason why I killed him was because he was trying to effectively sell you into slavery because of your powers um, to get himself out of trouble. Well, you know, those things are not easy to take, especially for Jessica, because she's been so wrapped up in uh, in that for this many years, as, we, as we've learned. Do we think there is any part of the same um, you, you were speaking about there a minute ago, Chris? Do you think there's any part of Jessica's reaction that is also to do with the experiments that were done on her? Very much so. I yeah. think that this that this flipping on a dime, the the uh, the anger that Jessica feels, because I think it's anger that she feels that is covered by her sarcasm, her wit, mm-hmm. her, her dark demeanor, if you will. But we know she can get angry. Yes, we've seen her punch through the car. Yeah. So that it just takes her longer to build up, but when she does build up, then it's we have, we basically it's a Hulk like situation of psychosis. Mm. And we've, seen this a few, and we've seen this a few times this season, as you say. We've seen it in the uh, in the prison cell when she was in there. We've seen it in the anger management group when she uh, almost destroyed a wall with a plastic ball that exploded. Um, you know, we've seen we've seen her get quite aggressive in the past as well. Definitely, so. and I mean, where is this going to take Jessica? Yeah, and it's really how is she going to deal with this as well? I'm really intrigued to see that because at the end, um, she does get drugged by. Dr. Carl. Um, so is he going to keep her chained up and bound in the basement of their house? So how is this going to work? Because, um, she is hurting right now and then she's going to be seemingly a prisoner. Um, or was he just trying to knock her out so that she didn't do any more damage to either her mother or his house? And so I, I really, how is this going to be taken by Jessica and what are, 
What's going to be the fallout from it? I have a bigger question. How many of those syringes does Dr. Carl have? <laughs> it is hilarious. He's done it, I think, four times. And we've only seen him four or five times. I, mean, I think he ends almost every scene by stabbing somebody in the neck with a syringe to Absolutely. knock them out. I just thought it was hilarious. It's like as if, you know, he opens up his jacket and, and instead of Rolexes on the inside to sell, it's just filled with syringes that he has at all times in case someone goes a little bit beyond the aggression that he wants. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. But it just, I don't know why. It's not supposed to be hilarious. It's supposed to be that Jessica's been kidnapped effectively by this guy but it just made me smile again i'm just wondering is it potentially potentially he's trying to protect jessica from elisa oh absolutely oh no no he just punched her she is twice as crazy and twice as strong as you yeah i'm gonna put you asleep because she's gonna rip you in half exactly or of course it is his home that they're in so is he just you know trying to protect the walls from being knocked down (laughs) as well (laughs) i i did I like the idea that he always ends his scenes on a syringe. Uh-huh. It's just, just like it's just almost like you can imagine this nineties theme song in the end and it's just like da 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 He's just gonna go <laughs> So he goes to the shops, he picks up some bread, he goes to the cashier, pays for the cat for the bread, and then just syringes the guy <laughs> and then walks off. It's like I'm a doctor, I syringe people, it's uh-huh. fine. <laughs> that would truly fit in with the the Marvel TV shows of the late 70s, early <laughs> 80s. Probably. <laughs> the Syringer. <laughs> yes. And on that note, that's our final case note. Uh, anybody have any notes for the episode? Yeah, just one for me. I'm going to jump in here. Um, it looks like the film that Trish and Jessica are watching on the on the building at the top of the roof at the end of the episode mm-hmm. is Orson Welles' Touch of Evil. Right. Um, the reason that's kind of poignant to a degree is that this film is famous, for, among other things, for its uh, endless tracking shots. Right. Uh, where they used to use the cranes and they would track up and then back down and things like that. So we actually see one of these tracking shots, which is it follows the thief in uh, to the car boot and then end, pulls up and out. Yeah. And oh, up, I should say, um, as the, the scene continues. As you see, the people, the PI is, or the person is watching, yeah. uh, come back to their car. Why is a tracking shot important? I hear you ask. Well, obviously, Jess- Jessica Jones, MCU, Netflix. Ah, Netflix. Daredevil. We have the poignant Daredevil one shot tracking. Impressive, Chris. Impressive. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, fantastic. Although Jessica Jones has never had a tracking shot. I just thought, I, I thought of that and I went, oh, yeah, Daredevil. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The one shot yeah, hallway fight scene. Yeah. yeah, I've got a couple of notes. Uh, for Whiskey Watch, we have uh, Knob Creek. That's um, right. A bottle of Knob Creek being taken uh, by Sterling. And then we see that Knob Creek bourbon uh, becomes uh, a bourbon of choice for the, for the couple. It's a lovely sour mash that is perfectly goes with uh, Coca-Cola for a nice bourbon and Coke. Absolutely. <laughs> so, course, yeah. And of course, Jessica would start off a relationship with her first major boyfriend over a bottle of, of whiskey. So yeah. yeah. So yeah, this probably helps to deepen uh, Jessica's love of whiskey because certainly she's um, drinking whiskey in the in the club right at the start of this episode whilst Trish is doing her twerky McTwerkerson stuff uh, <laughs> on stage. The other note I have is we see Leslie Hansen here in, in the background, which is really interesting because when Alicia returns from uh, killing Sterling, uh, first of all, I love the fact that 
as she walks back into the IGH facility, all the nurses go running for cover, all running away from her because of what she did previously to escape. But then when finally that connection between uh, Carl and Elisa um, becomes evident, you know, he, he starts to calm her down. He says, we'll find a way to cure this, these um, rages. Uh, but, Leslie Hansen there in the background says, I want nothing to do with this yes. uh, and walks off. And of course, we know that she has been killed and murdered as well, um, presumably by Elisa, but we actually don't know that. We so uh, kind of interesting to see whether uh, her storyline uh, reemerges in, in some way. Yeah, like it is kind of interesting. We're on episode seven now, and it is interesting that we aren't on a big bad right now. And both Dr. Carl and Alyssa both seem to be on the good side and not even connected to the being a bad, there being bad people of this season. So it is quite interesting. Um, will we get somebody else has been running in parallel and killing all these people connected to IGH? Will we get somebody completely different revealed in future? Um, it's just quite interesting at this point, seven episodes in. I think you're right. I think what we found so far in this first act, if you will, this is the, the first part, part one, and we're going to get part two now um, as we go into episode eight, mm-hmm. is that we were led to believe that Malice and uh, Alicia are the, the bad guys. And then what we hear is, uh, as Alicia comes back in, oh, I'm going to go get Kozlov. Yes. Goes, no, 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 no. We know Kozlov is dead now. Mm-hmm. So if Kozlov was the bad guy in that situation... Who's worse than him? Yes, absolutely. So absolutely. I think you're right. I think what we're getting is that someone is cleaning house. Mm-hmm. The, whoever was worse than Kozlov or whoever Kozlov worked for is cleaning house. Um, or on behalf of him, maybe they're trying to uh, clean up his past now that he's passed away. Maybe it's something like that. But yeah, it does feel like we don't have much information about that side of things. Um since Jessica visited his funeral in episode two, wasn't it? Um, we haven't really seen much more of what happened with Kozlov. Um, so yeah, it'll be, it'll be intriguing to find out. And um, one of the other things, obviously, about this, uh, this character of Alyssa, um, I think we could probably all guess this, but I do want to call it out. Brian Michael Bendis did name the character Alyssa as it is an anagram, a very simple anagram of alias investigations. Yes. Um, so that's one of the little points about, about Alyssa, the character. Um, she doesn't have a huge amount to play in the comic books. Um, there's not a, not a huge storyline with her at all. But Chris, did you have any other points about her? Not very much. As you said, like she, she, she was not very much in the comic books. She doesn't play this super powered hero as she has now in the season mm-hmm. uh, of the TV show. The interesting thing we've learned is her middle, her last name is Campbell. And that's now Jessica's middle name. That's right. Yeah. Um, so that's about what I've got on it. Mm-hmm. But uh, just on your your last point in terms of who who could be cleaning house for uh, Kozlov mm-hmm. in his name, I'm going back to the guy in the wheelchair. I'm bringing it back. Seven episodes in, or I should say six additional episodes in. He's been superpowered. He grows back his legs or whatever. It's it's him. Isaiah. Okay. Interesting, Chris. We will find out in the future. Yeah, it could be. Because actually, that person that killed Will Simpson, we've just assumed it's her. It wasn't really shown, was it? It wasn't. It was just shown that it was a powered person that jumped over their heads and got out of the building, wasn't it? Yeah. Now, there was a a neck snap involved, so Mm -hmm. obviously there's a tie there to Elisa, but yeah, it'd be interesting now. Are we still to have that uh, assassin revealed? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
Good stuff, I think. With that, all of our notes and all of our case notes completed. Chris, do you defend Jessica Jones Season 2, Episode 7, a.k.a. I Want Your Great Grey? Uh, I do defend it, but it's a tough one, gentlemen. There was a lot of filler in this episode, and I don't mean that in a bad way. We've talked about it, um, mm-hmm. and it's good. But what you could have done, you could have compressed a lot of this into a lot shorter time frame. Mm. They could have given us a lot more. Um, is what I'm trying to kind of get at. I don't know. I found it slightly slow, slightly plodding. Okay. While I, it wasn't, I know it wasn't. I know it was the same pace that we've been getting, but just this, I felt like, oh, okay, we, we, I get it. Why can't you just speed things up a bit? I was very happy though what they gave us, the origin they gave us, or this this flashback. Mm-hmm. Like I said, the third season flashback should be about how she opens the PI joint um, on her first day of opening Alias Investigations. Um, but it was not, I, I, as you said, Derek, they gave us a lot of these nods that, oh, that's how Alias came about yeah, yeah. and things like that. And that's where the leather jacket came from. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I do defend it because of the what it did. I was borderline because of how they did it. If that makes sense. Okay, I get you. I get you. It's it's quite interesting that you said that I looked at this episode while I was watching it, and for some reason I don't know why I misread it, but I thought the episode was thirty seven minutes long. I thought they were just doing a flashback episode that was really short, and thinking that it was thirty seven minutes long, I actually thought it moved really fast uh, for some reason. I don't know. I don't know why. Uh, but it it is quite interesting that you mentioned the length of the episode that it could have been shorter for this, but that's what I actually saw out of the corner of my eye when I was looking at the screen. Anyway. Well, well, actually, you say that though. It, it, this episode was what fifty-two minutes. It's one of the longest. It's one of the longest of the it, season. Yeah, fifty-seven minutes. Yes, yeah, fifty-seven minutes. Yeah. So it's actually, it's. I see what I mean. They could have shaved off an additional seven. They, if they had, a, if they had a made of this thirty-seven mm. minutes, I, I that would have been amazing. It would have been <laughs> you're done, and you're like, wow, that was it was short. It was impactful. It was it was everything I wanted right. in a flashback. I don't know what I would have cut. I think I have I have a feeling I enjoyed being back in that time with especially with Jessica and Trish. I really enjoyed being back in that time with them. I enjoyed the time with Dorothy, uh, seeing what she was like back then as well. And if you're only going to do it once, you might as well do it all in one episode. It, that's my my feeling, obviously. But I, I, I totally understand, Chris, if it wasn't a, wasn't your bag. So then, Derek, based on what I've said in that quick discussion. Do you defend this episode of Jessica Jones? <laughs> I think you've heard I, I do defend Jessica Jones uh, on most episodes, particularly this episode. For me, I think a flashback episode with seeing a young Jessica Jones before she's the way that she is now and seeing everything that led her to be the way she is now. Like, I mean, that moment in the bathroom with Trish where she gets the club owner up against the glass or up against the mirror and grabs his head, pulls it back and pushes him within an inch of smacking the mirror again. That's the Jessica Jones we see now in the in the current series, in the current timeline. That's the one we've spent two and a half seasons or one and a half seasons with. So seeing her being happy, seeing her have a very different life and seeing all the reasons she's become the Jessica Jones she is now being wrong. All of the knowledge that she has about what happened in her life. Remember, she's kept this leather jacket from that point onwards. That's how much this time with Sterling meant to her. Seeing all that play out and seeing a very different Jessica Jones becoming the Jessica Jones that we know now, I think was really important to see. And that's why I defend this episode. John, our final defend of this episode. Do you defend episode seven, season two, aka I want your cray cray? I just want to keep saying that. 
I do defend this episode of Jessica Jones. Um, I would give this four cray cray neck snaps out of five. <laughs> but having said that, when I first watched it, I was like Chris, pretty lukewarm about it. Um, and I, I didn't feel that the reveal at the end was, um, a big enough kind of smash bang wallop to really lift me out of it. Right. But strangely, as we've discussed it here on the podcast, my, my mind and my view is, has changed actually, because I think what this did, yes, it was a full flashback episode, but it gave us so much reveal about Jessica Jones in terms of her origins, which I found fascinating down to, you know, the little touches such as her coat down to why she's called her PI firm alias investigations, mm -hmm. the, the, the shared history between her mother, Alicia and herself. And we haven't known up till now that Alicia has a massive impact on Jessica and who she is to become through killing a Sterling. And I think just the range of different perspectives in that triangle of Elisa, Jessica and Sterling is, is fascinating. You know, is Sterling good or bad? Yet for Jessica, uh, he is her absolute rock and family. And then we see Elisa really rip that from Jessica mm -hmm. without realizing she's doing it because of these side effects. And I think on top of that, then I really enjoyed seeing Trish's uh, descent. You know, it's been talked about, but here we actually see it. Um, and I think that's really revealing um, as well as this relationship between Elisa uh, and Carl Malice, um, that connection that they have. And that is why they're still together here in this moment. And then, Coming to, no, I don't forgive you, Mom, because you've effectively just said that my life has been dictated by a moment that you intervened uh, mm -hmm. in my life. Um, and she doesn't, you know, it really just tops it off, uh, for me. So I, I found it really fascinating as we were discussing this, how I was looking at aspects of this. Um, episode from a very different way than when I had first watched it. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely defend this episode of Jessica Jones. Excellent. That's really, it's really interesting that you say that, John, having that, having that discussion has helped your, your opinion of the episode almost. Uh, two other quick things that I kind of forgot to mention that I really liked about the episode. Number one was Dr. Carl taking responsibility for everything that Alyssa had done. I thought that was a really good scene because He's effectively saying to her, well, it's my fault. If I hadn't done these experiments on you, you wouldn't have this rage. And therefore, you wouldn't have gone and killed my nurses. You wouldn't have gone and killed Jessica's boyfriend. Boyfriend. I thought that was quite interesting and, and does show why their relationship is the way that it is. The other scene is slightly different. It's kind of the opposite, actually. The girl who is trying to stop Jessica from getting back in to see Trish when Trish is in the bathroom. Did you hear what she said to Jessica about why Trish was going down on the on the nightclub owner she basically said well he gave us good drugs so i've basically hoard trish out to pay for those drugs like that showing those friends that trish has and obviously no longer has jessica's her only friend now but you see why the two of them are completely bonded because her experience of other friends around her was this they would allow her to go down her knees in the bathroom to pay for drugs for their gang that's crazy i just just that moment it solidifies why Trish and Jessica are such strong, have such a strong bond. And I, I thought it was a really good moment to just, just a little throwaway line, but 
a really tough situation. You see why Jessica gets so angry as well uh, at that at that moment. Yet so much stuff here going on in this episode to uh, on the history of, of Jessica Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was it was really good, and I think any other comments or discussion points on this episode or any other episode of this series of jessica jones please head on over to our facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash defenders tv podcast or leave us a voicemail or an email through our website just go to defenders tv podcast and of course if you want to hear our continued coverage of jessica jones season two then please share the love rate us subscribe to us on the podcast, just head on over to DefendersTVPodcast.com and go through our subscribe area where you can subscribe to the podcast catcher of your choice. Yep, thanks for that, fellow Defenders, and thanks for joining us for another episode of Jessica Jones. We'll be back next time with episode eight of Jessica Jones, Ain't We Got Fun. That's obviously named after the song that Alyssa's been playing on the piano for the last few episodes. Yes. Uh, good catch. Mm. Good catch. Yeah. What what relevance does that have, I wonder? Be yeah. interesting. I will be researching the lyrics during the week. You go do that. So, fellow defenders, thank you so much for joining us. And I have one favor to ask. Uh, I've been asking you to tell your sisters throughout this uh, season in honor of International Women's Day and Jessica Jones. As always, we really appreciate your views, your reviews, your comments. So let us know. And we'll see you next episode. Yep. Thanks for listening. Talk to you again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, as always, for uh, tuning in and listening. It's been great speaking with you. Uh, I'm off to go and down a bottle of Knob Creek. Um, (laughs) With that, we can't wait to speak with you next time. Bye. (laughs) 